how you doing, little mama? Let me whisper in your ear. Hi, how you doing? Chris here, just recording loosely on my microphone to set up this fantastic new episode of Out the Broom Cupboard. I just want to pass on a huge thank you to everybody who's been a Patreon supporter so far for this project over on patreon.com slash OOTBC. Without you, it would not be possible. Your funds help pay for the transport, for the necessities around the show that make it be a thing you can hear on iTunes, on Spotify. And of course, if you're on Patreon and you're a tier two patron upwards, you can hear it before anybody else. You might be listening to this a week before the rest of the world, in which case, hello. If you're the rest of the world, hi, how you doing? You could have heard this a week earlier. Uh, but yeah, so thank you once again to everybody who's already donated. For those who want to get in on the action, patreon.com slash OOTBC. There's a whole bunch of bonus content. But now for the main course, this week I'm joined by the wonderful Katie Thistleton, DJ, television presenter, Agony Ant. She's made a book, she's made people smile, she regularly tickles dogs. Um... You know, for for a living and, and, and just for her own amusement, really. She's amazing. She's got some fantastic stories about how she got into the world of broadcasting and kids' TV. So without further ado, here it is. in the middle of a bunch of people working very hard at like what appears to be important things yeah what team is this BBC articles and connections because they've got like they've got like Infinity War and Endgame stuff yeah there's an Infinity Gauntlet on the whiteboard I planned this on purpose Chris this is why I booked this room you distracted me with (laughs) you bamboozled me with comic books how dare you madam they are going to think what on earth is going on in that room just us being weird in a glass box in the middle of the BBC there is (laughs) no There is nothing wrong with two adult human beings eating jelly babies <laughs> and staring at you through a glass going, why have they got Spider-Man on the television? What's happening? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. Hello, and welcome to Out of the Broom Cupboard. I am your host, Chris Yoko Johnson, here once again to talk with the legend of kids' TV about their experiences, about the world of children's television, live entertainment, and this week also radio, being an agony aunt, liking dogs. <laughs> Laughing. <laughs> She's got a woman of many talents. Uh, I'm sat opposite, of course, the lovely Katie Thistleton. Hello, Katie. Oh, hello, Chris. Yoko Johnson. Although it sounded like you said Yoko, which I like. I... <laughs> I'd like it if Yoko was your middle name. I mean, I mean, based on based on if people's favourite CBBC era was the CBBC office, I guess I broke up the Beatles in a way. <laughs> I think you probably I did. Guess in a way, I broke the system. <laughs> it's like he left, and all of a sudden the talking dog was put with everybody, and then I don't know. Yeah, did you listen to episode one? I did, yeah. I'm so sorry. I enjoyed it. I <laughs> enjoyed that it was <laughs> like being in a room with you and Phil without having to be in a room with you. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I think that's. A, I think that's a compliment. I think it is, yeah. sure. And also, it's always weird to hear Phil being sort of serious, being interviewed quite seriously about his job and his career, and not being either a bit weird or being like hacker. So he did that. Remember that big newspaper article that was in like the Wigan, I don't know, the Wigan uh, Post or whatever. Probably the Wigan Herald. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Available for free on the bar at Birdie Thand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take a copy. He did like a, they did, gave him like a double spread in the middle of the paper and that was all kind of like serious stuff about his puppeteering as well. Because he's got actually a really interesting story, hasn't he? And he's always been so passionate about puppeteering. But you don't really get that from him day to day because he's always being like wacky and funny and making you laugh. So. Or very grumpy and still making you laugh. Yeah, or grumpy but being funny with it. What are you doing today, Phil? I don't know. I just don't want to be here annoyed. Why get up? Get me up for this. It's like it's just, you're, you're literally just recording a piece to camera, Phil. But the best thing about Phil is that he um, he will do all that <laughs> whinging to you, but then the producer will come in and they'll be like, "Oh, hello, love, yeah." <laughs> 
just be really nice to them. So <laughs> everyone just thinks he's great and well, he's good... never horrible about them when behind their backs he's wishing them dead. <laughs> <laughs> or has... at least grievous, bod- grievous bodily yeah, harm. Yeah, at least a sort of an accident. Yeah. At least an accident with life-changing injuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of life-changing, I'm going to cut the rest of it off there. Um... <laughs> oh my days. Katie, tell everybody, where are you from? Ooh. And don't say your mum, because we all know that. We know science works. But I, like, where are you from, Bridget? Where you grew up? From Manchester. So from Ashton-Underline, a little town in Tameside in Ashton-Underline. Draw a, draw a mental image for those who don't know what the beauty of Ashton-Underline <laughs> looks like. God. It's big green fields, isn't it? And, and, and beautiful meadows. And... Well, do you know what? It is quite near to the Pennines. So there has, is actually a nice bit of countryside around there. That's probably one of the nicest things about it. But it certainly is what, uh, a sort of dying town centre, like a lot of town centres are now in terms of... Yeah, if you go into the actual town centre, it's like just sort of pound shops and betting shops. And it's it's a little bit run down and rubbish now. Um, but where I grew up was really nice. Where you know my street and the sort of estate around there was really lovely. So all my family are still there, but I'm like in a different bit of Manchester now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like—is it northeast Manchester? I think so. Uh, basically, geography the, is never my strong suit. You know that. IKEA. Never tell is me there. to put things on a map. No, that's I was true. near the big IKEA. Yeah, right. so that's how everybody knows what Ashton is. Everyone's <laughs> so like, oh yeah, exactly where I've been to the IKEA. Yeah. Oh god, that's, that's upsetting. We do have an IKEA. Way. It's alright, I'm from Swinton originally, which is famous for once having a B&Q that's now a B&M. So, <laughs> just had to change one letter, move them in, it was great. <laughs> Kept the gardening bit as well. Cheap as anything. For the paint, you can get some good paint yeah. from B&M. You can, they just, all, all they did was just bring in a bunch of wool and some toiletries and they were like, we're B&M now. B&M is great. Do you know what would be good if this podcast could be sponsored by B&M? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if they're listening, yes please. So, little Katie, tiny Katie. Um, this is part of the journey that a few people from last week have also highlighted and they've sent comments now. Uh, the, there doesn't seem to be a direct path from what they've heard, especially from Phil and from things I've talked about before, of getting into children's entertainment and live television and things like that. From your childhood, were you a case of that? Were you somebody who didn't necessarily, this was never a goal, like working TV and radio and stuff? Or was that always the dream? It was always the dream to work in the media in some way from being really, really young. Um, I want to be a copywriter. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be an editor. Um, yeah, exactly. Some like, obscure job that you wouldn't know about. I'm going to be a vision mixer uh, at two years old. Um, I'm going to intern for three years and then be moved on before I can earn a staff contract. That's right, little Timmy. Um, no, I little Timmy. No, I always wanted to be a writer, with, and I basically think that comes from English being like the only thing I was good at. I was quite good at reading and writing, and I think one of my teachers was basically like, "Oh, you should be a writer when you grow up." And I sort of went, "All right," because I wasn't very sporty or good at anything else, really. So I thought, "Okay, I'll be a writer." So um, I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to be like a journalist, and I think I did always sort of watch telly and listen to the radio and think that's what I want to do because I just thought. What can be more fun than that? Mm. Um, you know, in our free time, we choose to like read books, watch telly, go on the internet, listen to music, listen to radio. So what can be more fun than making all that stuff, really? So I wanted to be a making journalist. Making cakes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, cakes is good, actually. So I wanted to do that and be a journalist, but I always wanted to work behind the scenes. So I kind of knew from quite early on that I wanted to work for the BBC. And I suppose, now that I think about it, the only job I kind of envisioned was being like a newsreader or 
or someone who wrote the news for a newspaper. Because I suppose that's an obvious job, isn't it? But you don't think about, we were just joking about it, but you don't think about all those other jobs in the media that go into it. You just think of the obvious ones that you see on the telly. Definitely never wanted to be a presenter. That was never... It's not even a news presenter per se. Like, what was news... So newsreader was the... Yeah, the I wouldn't, factual I think, specifically. Yeah, I think I would want to be a newsreader because it was the only job I kind of really thought about. So I trained doing um, a journalism course after I finished uni. I went to Salford Uni and then uh, did an English degree there. And then I did a journalism qualification for a year. And that was like a print journalism course. But around that time, I kind of fell out of love a bit with like print journalism and decided that TV and radio seemed a lot more fun. It's the tales all the time with university as well. Like you pick the you pick the thing you want to do, you go for it, you work through it, and you come out the other end, and that's when you realise whether or not it's actually the route you want to take. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose also print was dying out a bit at that time, so I kind of thought, yeah, turn like sort of we're talking like late twenty two thousands, early twenty tens, yeah. right? So so it's yeah, absolutely. By this point, Twitter is on everybody's phone, and, and exactly you know, the media that you want to access is immediately there. That in the morning you open, well, wake up, open up your tabs, and you're like, oh, there's the news I want to read. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess like you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. It like, kind of felt like it was hand. dying out. Like the the phone hacking scandal was going on at the time as well. So it course, certainly yeah. didn't seem like an admirable profession to be like a journalist at that time either. <laughs> so um, I sort of fell out of love with it a bit, and also because I knew how competitive an industry the media industry is, I was always trying to get loads of work experience. So um, the easiest way to do that because all the local papers were dying out as well was to do it at community radio stations so that's mm. when I started doing the news for community radio stations writing the news reading the news and then I remember just one day I was doing um, the news at North Manchester FM and I sort of sat there and I, I looked in and I could hear the DJs like chatting away and playing music and stuff and I thought I could do that like I never stopped talking that's the one thing the one skill I've always had is that I never shut up talking I've always been a storyteller I've always been a gossiper I've always been like going into school, seeing my mates, saying, did you see that on my tell last night? Oh, guess what? I heard about this. So I thought I could sit there and talk crap on the radio all day and play some music, definitely. So I started doing my own little radio shows. But still at that point, weirdly, I didn't think, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be on radio. What? Like, I just didn't. I thought when I was doing all that, I was doing it for experience for behind the scenes. I was, I was doing it so that when I went for job interviews for being a researcher or whatever, I could say, I've put these shows together. I've researched stuff for my own show. Yeah. So I, I had no dreams of being on the telly or on the radio. And I don't know whether that's because I felt like that was setting my ambitions too high, whether I thought that was just so unattainable mm. or whether I thought I didn't quite have the confidence for it. I don't really know, but I never really saw that as my future. I saw sort of working behind the scenes, being a researcher, being an AP, being a producer as the route that I wanted um, and that was that was always what I set out to do. So you always wanted to know more how the sausage was made than yeah. what it looked like. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> the I'm end creative and I like writing. <laughs> I like coming up with ideas and stuff. So I wanted to do that, and I just wanted to be part of that buzz of telly and radio, and um, it just seemed so fun. Especially when I started working at the BBC and getting you know amongst <laughs> all that. Um, on brand, well done. Yeah, get amongst, get amongst it. it. Yeah. Um, so I started I, I my first job for the BBC. <laughs> <Then> you research. <laughs> My first job for the BBC was as a production management assistant, which I guess is probably similar to like a runner, but the radio version of it, um, or, or kind of like the admin job. It's kind of like being a production coordinator. So I was like booking trains, booking taxis for people, doing sort of schedules and rotors and things, and generally just sort of helping people out with their admin in the team. So I did that in Radio 4, both in Manchester and Birmingham for probably about a year in total. And then I got a job as a PA in children's at CBBC and CBBS, And that was really just, I was trying to desperately get a job back in Manchester because I was working mm. in Birmingham. 
I really wanted to work in Media City. I didn't actually think, oh, children's is where I'm meant to be. But I thought, well, that looks fun. CBBC and CBBS, obviously, like, that's going to be fun. Um, and then I got the job. And loads of people said to me, oh, you'll never be in a creative job ever again now. Like, once you get stuck as a PA, you'll never do anything creative. And I thought, well, that's a load of rubbish. But obviously did panic about it a bit. So I carried on doing all my community radio shows and writing blogs and stuff. Yeah, you kept the kept the creative exactly, like, yeah. So that when I could go for researcher interviews, which I did in that time when I was a PA, I could sort of say, "Oh look, I do my own radio show, I do this, I'm still doing that creative stuff." And then I eventually got a research job for CBBS, and I was like, "Oh, perfect! This is what I'll do forever. Um, <laughs> I'll just sit here and I'll write little songs for babies. I'll do a nine to five. I'll go home and I'll live a lovely life." And then. The boss of CBBC was like, do you want to come and audition to be a presenter for the CBBC office? And then that all absolutely... You went, sure, I've got nothing else on this lunchtime. <laughs> I'm sure plan... it'll go nowhere, exactly. but I'll learn a thing or two. And then my plan to have a simple, carefree life as a CBBC researcher completely... Horribly backfired. <laughs> backfired. And yeah, and my life changed. Why do you think people were um, sort of saying... Oh, if you get into that position, you get stuck there. Like, that's it now. What do you think that track was that they were all referring to? I think that probably came from people who were a bit bitter um, that they weren't where they wanted to be. And I think there's a lot of that in this industry. A lot of people feeling um, a bit hard done by, feeling frustrated that they're not where they want to be. I felt like that lots of times. You felt like oh, that, yeah, I'm sure. Tell me about it. Like, it's very easy to become like that. Mm. Um, and I think that probably came from, from people who were feeling a bit that way. So I think you have to completely, you have to just completely ignore that because it was obviously a load of rubbish anyway. It sort of ties into one of the biggest risks of, of any kind of line of performance and, and journalism, anything where you're putting yourself in front of a camera or, or behind a typewriter, figure of speech, and all bloody use a typewriter anymore. <laughs> Apart from George R. R. Martin, which is why Game of Thrones takes so long to finish. Does he still use a typewriter? Uh, not a typewriter, he uses a 90s word processor. Oh, sort it out, George. We've been waiting for the <laughs> Get on it, lad. next book for about 60 years. Not that I've read any of them. Get so on it. You practically read them. You practically read them. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think, I think that what maybe they're referring to in, in, in that case is people get comfortable. They get, they sort of get comfortable and have, like you say, that nine to five. And as far as like adulting is concerned, the income that comes with that stability, which is something that is not guaranteed when you are in the more creative avenues per se, that is a, there's a, there's a risk factor to, to making art or participating in art or broadcasting or information or journalism. Like that's, you know, it's, it's a constant juggling act in a way. And I wonder if people were trying to warn you away because they were like, oh, mm. no, no, no. Like, I, I don't go out there. It's safe here. Stay, stay here. Stay yeah. here. But I don't think you get fulfilled unless you give it a try. Well, I think I would almost advise people that myself, if, if you've not got the sort of personality to be able to deal with it, I think it, it can be really devastating. I mean, there's no, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that so many creatives have mental health problems have depression take their own lives like it's it's rife amongst people who are creatives or people who are performers and in the public eye and i think a part of that is the job and i think a part of that is the type of personality you have anyway to get into those jobs of oh, sure you're someone who maybe overthinks life a little bit you're someone who's always reaching for something else something bigger something better and i think that's what gives you the ambition and the motivation to achieve those things in the first place but mm. i think it can it can be really scary as well but i don't think i ever would have settled just being in, in that job like i, I didn't want to be a, a presenter and i wouldn't have been trying to pursue that but i think i would have been trying to write books for example i always wanted to write a book i always thought what can be better than having a, a novel holding a book in your hand and you've written it 
Um, so I always wanted to do that. I would have been doing that. I would have been probably sending in scripts to BBC drama and BBC comedy and trying to get things commissioned. I wouldn't have gone home at night and just sort of sat and watched the telly because that just wouldn't have been in my personality. There's so, an itch that needed scratching. Yeah, exactly. So as much as I complain sometimes about what you were just saying, that you can never just sort of settle and go, oh, okay, I won't do anything for a month other than my nine to five. Like you have to constantly be thinking about oh, what's yeah. next. As much as I complain about that, I think I'd be bored if I didn't have it. It's true. I, I think the, the things that can get you through that uh, kind of period where it is a little tough is you have to remember that it's okay to step away from it from time to time if need be. Like if it's financial side and that's your big worry, good, go and do something else for a bit. Focus on that. It's completely healthy. But you can sometimes worry that, wait, I've made this sort of thing and I don't want to, but I don't want to go back. It's not going back. It's just doing something different for a while. Oh, yeah. And also having a strong family friends network, mm. you have one of the closest families I have ever met. You lot are like one, sp- you're like one entity. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you're like this Christmas yeah. tree full of very bright, happy lights. We're always taking the mick of each other and having a lovely time and just getting on like a, like a house on fire because you know of a what? Christmas tree that's very bright. We are actually, Doesn't we are that, very like <laughs> cut one, the other bleeds, like, you know, and, and I don't know how I've looked out with that, to be honest, but we are a really close family. It's not to say that there aren't, you know, difficulties and there aren't people who've got problems. We've all had our, our problems and stuff, but yeah, it, it does work out really well. Something about the formula of how our family works has, has been really successful. My brother and sister are a lot older than me so I was an afterthought very much so so my oh. yeah oh. <laughs> I just felt oh. sad I was a happy afterthought okay so but... my sister's 18 years older than me but my brother's 16 years older than me so they were essentially pretty much adults really when I was born and um, so for that reason I was almost a, a bit like an only child in a way growing up um yes, you didn't have any similar age siblings you didn't yeah they didn't, didn't grow live at the, home most of the time the kind of archetypal way that you would grow exactly up with a sibling. yeah i think I, I, I they didn't live at home most of the time when i was growing up so it was a lot of just me my mum, and dad in the house and i actually think that really helped me to have such an imagination i i played on my own a lot like i had friends of course obviously and but i actually quite liked my own time mm. and, and i think that helped me be quite imaginative and even now I need my own time I need my own space yeah like I need like half an hour an hour a day to sort of sit on my own and gather my thoughts I'm not one of those people that can be constantly surrounded by people and socializing I wonder if that comes from me being able to have that quiet time on my own as a child and that time to sit and read and write or play with toys and just you know imagine things without someone else coming messing it up but also what was great is it almost (laughs) was like I had a second mum in my sister not a second dad in my brother because he's not mature enough but (laughs) and also it meant that I had um nieces and nephews who are actually quite close in age to me closer in age to me than my siblings are so in a way I've had the best both worlds I've had like the older siblings the younger siblings but none of them have lived with me so we've not fallen out (laughs) (laughs) and that's the key to familial success everybody we've had the distance to like not do each other's heads in so all live in different buildings yeah yeah and come together for barbecues exactly um Speaking of, like we had one a couple of days ago. It was my first time eating meat in forever, and it was a shock to the system. Why have you not been eating meat? We've gone pescatarian at home. Oh, you told me about yeah, this. Yeah, Lucy's gone full on pescatarian. I'm basically an at home pescatarian. I'm impressed. It's uh, I uh, my stomach isn't. Is I'll it tell not? you that for now. Doesn't like me anymore. It's like, what have you put inside me? That's interesting because you mm. think that your stomach that your stomach would reject meat more than anything else. Oh, I think that's the thing. If I do dip backwards, like right. I this barbecue, my body despises everything that I do. Yeah. But enough about meat. What I want to know is... <laughs> what's funny is, you probably say the word meat more than anyone else I know. That's the irony here. <laughs> the 
words, isn't it? Meat, Meat neck, neck is another one. Yeah. Um, necky is another one, but that's, a, that's an adjective no one's ever I'm used. I'm just going to take this moment to tell everyone about two of my favourite Chris quotes ever, which was once... <laughs> Who came into I think it was Naomi Wilkinson was oh, in CBBC for the afternoon doing like promoting Naomi's Nightmares adventure of a uh, Naomi, what, what, There's been called? four thousand Na- shows, it's fine. Naomi's it's okay. What? Uh, Naomi's Nightmares, Nightmares of Nature. Of nature. I merged about four shows in one then. <laughs> um she was in the CBBC office or CBBC HQ as it was back then, and you'd popped in, I think maybe to do some voiceover or something, and you just went, Naomi, clutch me like you would any treasure. Was that where I first said it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> See, I remember it. That's how poignant it was to me because it was just, I cried. There's moments with you, Chris. I only remember it because you remember it, if that makes any sense. There is mo- there's moments with you, Chris, where it's just a normal moment. Everything's fine. Everything's normal. And then you make me laugh to the point where it's like, you're hysterical instantly. And Phil does the same thing. Both of you do that thing where you just drop a little nugget. There's something, a little, little news <laughs> There's something that doesn't just make you titter. It literally makes you cry with laughter and the other one was once when we were in the makeup room and we were chatting about something quite serious like we must have been whinging about I don't know our contracts or like <laughs> we were like having a big whinge what are you talking about that that topic never comes up as a moan <laughs> working in television and then or the you BBC went, ladies and gentlemen and then you to sort of lighten the mood because you can never stay serious for long like you'd been serious for a good minute or so and you were just like anywho have a little cup about it. <laughs> and you presented to like me and Kat Sandian from CBeebies an upside down deodorant lid <gasps> that looked like a cup. Is that what it was? <laughs> yes! And you said, have a little cup about it. And it is one of my favourite things ever and I'll remember it till the day I die. When I've got dementia, I'll probably be uttering, be uttering that from the care home. <laughs> she was slightly responsive today, Mr Johnson. It's all right, I know what to say. <laughs> It's like grab a deodorant lid. Ah, but it'll come about. It'll come about. I do worry about that. You know when they say when you get older you start to lose your marbles and you go back to your early years. I think, God, if I go back to if we go back to the CBBC years, it'll be like one mad nightmare, won't it? Everyone's good. Yeah, that everyone around us won't make sense, but a dog will. Yeah. Like a dog will make sense and will be annoyed that it isn't speaking. Yeah, it'll just be weird. Like, if we go back to those, we go back to some CBBC sketches, that's where our brain takes us back to one day. We've got no chance. It'll be like we've taken drugs or something. As long as it's nothing from the Chris and London era, I'll be fine. (laughs) Some odd, seriously, some of the material that we were handed during that period. Really? Bizarre. Like, not to, you know, not to take a dump on anyone who was writing it, but there were some very weird mandates at that point in time that resulted more in um, promote the programme by doing a dance. It's like, what the hell does that even mean? Um, but- I miss the uh, the sketches kind of days. I mean, I do and I don't, because again, if they were well written, they were brilliant. If they were badly written, they were just a real drag. But um, when Andy Potter was producing you and Phil on afternoons for a while, and I was on mornings with Dodge, Oh, just the stuff you did was amazing. I mean, so that was bizarre. the pellets era. Johnston pellets. Johnston pellets. Jesus wept. And you did a send in one afternoon where you just asked kids to send in their pellets. Uh, yeah, so, uh, emailing. So they just emailed emailing in the, the word, word pellets. pellets and 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 then me and Hacker were presenting it like, no, 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 don't do that. That's ridiculous. Don't do that. Ignore him. Ignore him. Here's Arthur or whatever. And then after news round, it came back and link was us going, hi everyone. Um, we were going to do X, Y, Z, but we've had an overwhelming amount of emails, so we have to respond to them. Uh, this first one's from Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Jessica says, pellets. This next one is from Matt. He says, pellets. <laughs> you got one there? Yeah, yeah, this one is from 
It's from Joe. Hello, Joe. He says, pellets. <laughs> this one is from, and we just read the word pellets <laughs> for an entire link. And the next day, the then executive producer um, took our producer, Andy, to one side to basically tell him off for doing that link because he thought it was the most biggest waste of time ever because, of course, they have to keep an eye on things and sometimes they're a bit overly, you know, like, make sure it's about the show. Make sure it's all about promotion. Don't be just faffing around. And Andy got out of being told off by saying, yeah, but we got like 800 emails yeah. in 20 minutes. <laughs> and they went, oh, all right, carry on. Exactly. It helped the stats, <laughs> didn't it? It's brilliant. That stuff's never a waste of time because if it's funny, it brings you in. And then if people are watching because you and Hacker are hilarious, and then they'll get a bit of that advertising, won't they? And they will stick around for the shows. That stuff's always worth doing. The silly stuff is the best stuff. So what brought you into that world specifically? Say you approached about audition, mm-hmm. and this was uh, as they were looking for a presenter to replace Ian Sterling, because Ian was about to leave within the next two, three months. Yes. Did you know that he was going to leave when you were approached? No, I didn't actually. Um, I knew they needed a girl, and that and, and it had been too many men, too many, many men. It, it had you been know, a sausage it, fest for a while. <laughs> it really had. Um, it was like that barbecue you were at a couple of days ago, Chris. The meat on display was. Oh, meat! Meat on meat. So yeah, basically, it, weirdly, because I'd been working for um, the two controllers for two years. I knew all this stuff anyway. I knew that there'd been um, talk for a while that a girl presenter was needed. Honestly, not at one point did I think, oh, I could do that. Like, I literally, I I had no interest in that. And do you know what? I think that probably annoys people when I say that because it's a lot of people's dream. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh, I didn't even want it, guys. But they just gave it to me. It was thrust on me because obviously it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, But It's annoying that, isn't it? Yeah, but also (laughs) I, I just, I don't know. I don't know whether I just thought I somewhere subconsciously I must have thought oh I'm, I'm not a performer I'm not good enough to do that people who do that are probably from drama school etc um or a common misconception actually yeah very common misconception. even within education I've been told uh, yeah. in education people tend to be told oh if you want to get into that then you need to go to drama school oh not that's true the biggest load of nonsense it, ever. it's it's a skill set you can use I find a lot of the CBeebies guys uh come from drama school they and do, drama yeah. backgrounds uh but I think there's more of a performance art in that whereas CBBC is a lot more of a um, a personality-led Definitely. format, um, which, based on how it's been treated at the time, is either more comedy or more factual entertainment or more just casual T4 style exactly. kind of like, hey, we're just how, mucking a bolt in a room. You know, recently, it being like me and Lauren being two of the main ones, like we both come from a similar background in that we trained as journalists and we both worked behind the scenes. So, yeah. um, and now, obviously, I wasn't very smart because now when I think about it, I'm like, it's the same set of skills. You know, if you're a journalist, you're a storyteller. If if you're um, a writer, you're a storyteller. And that's not to say every writer and every journalist can present because they couldn't. You know, lots of news readers and journalists are quite serious and you've got to have a, a certain personality as well, obviously, to do children's TV. But there but are yeah, avenues. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I, but it's a similar set of skills. And I, But I never, it never occurred to me. I was still dead set on getting a research job. Like, I used to look at what you guys did and I'd watch it and I'd think it was hilarious and brilliant. And I definitely wanted to say, like, work for the press team, you know, as a researcher or whatever, or work for one of the teams doing that. But yeah, not as a presenter. So anyway, Dodge I knew... Swaffer. Yeah. <laughs> So it's in judging him. Yeah, that means him. something else yeah. in certain worlds. Certain, certain circles. Certain movie <laughs> companies. Oh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, mm. Um, so yeah. Modern BBC, ladies and gentlemen, modern BBC. None of that stuff. Um, <laughs> basically, I knew they were after a girl. And yeah, so when they approached me, I remember it 
vividly. I was walking back from the studios with Cheryl Taylor, who had just taken over as controller, and I was just about to leave being her PA um, to be a researcher on CBeebies. I'd just got that job. Damien Kavanagh had left to go to Channel 4. Yep, he was, was the... What was Damien's official role? It was... He was controller of CBBC. Oh, because... Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking of Joe for a second. I'm confused. Yeah, no, Damien was controller. Controller of CBBC, um, yeah. So he left. I'd worked for him for two years, and when he was leaving, I thought, right, you know what? This is my chance to ramp up these interviews and go and do what I want to do which is do a creative job so I got the researcher job I was just about to leave Cheryl started we were walking back from Blue Peter one day just having a chat and she said to me have you ever thought about being a presenter and I said no I haven't and she said if, you, if we sent you for an audition would you would you go for one and I was like yeah yeah I would do I mean I thought well that's not something you can say no to is it especially when like the boss of the channel you work for is saying let's do it so I went home and I didn't really think anything of it and then the following week week or whatever i think it was the weekend following like tuesday um annie dixon who was the exec producer for presentation at the time came over to my desk and obviously knew me anyway because i was a pa and was just like so we put you in a screen test for next week and i was just like what Wait, hang on what <laughs> this is bizarre i remember going home having a halloween party that weekend it was halloween and um telling like my mates at halloween party and i was like they're giving me a, a screen test to be presented and they were all like what this is bizarre that's how much i'd never presented um, a, a desire to be a performer in any way. Like yeah. I did GCSE drama, but ever since then, you know, I was like a, a fun person. I was a loud person. I had always been the one that, you know, assisted Pudsy, shall we say, whenever yeah. Pudsy needed assistance. <laughs> I'd always be the one if they were like... That's we, not a euphemism. Yeah. If uh, they were ever like... because that's yeah. a great euphemism. <laughs> if they were ever like, look, we need some extras in behind the scenes in Blue Peter messing about dressed as bananas or whatever, yeah. I would always volunteer. Like I was, you know, a fun person in the department, I suppose, that was young and wanted to get involved with those things. And I think... And I never shut up talking. And I was really interested in the content and I knew about all the shows and stuff. Yeah. And I think that all was, those were all the reasons that perhaps I was put up for it. As you were saying before, in Prez, part of your job as a presenter is to promote the shows. And they knew already that I knew a lot about the shows from my previous job. Also, I think I was just there, wasn't I? Cheap and available and ready to start (laughs) the following week. So, um, so yeah, did my screen test. Fantastic. You got the job. (laughs) Wait, what? Start tomorrow. Wait, what? Yeah. I think oh, you'll it, need a key card for next door. I think I, I, when I first got the job, I honestly felt so stressed and nervous about it because I just thought people are just going to think, why has she been given that job? And I didn't want people to think I, I'd been there sucking up to the controllers for two years trying to be a presenter because that really was not what had happened at all. You know, internally, that was never anyone's like perception whatsoever because you can you can tell when people are toadying. You can tell when people are sucking up a little too yeah. much. It's, you know, in the work environment because it's, it's good. Here's a tip for everyone at home. Like, it's good to be enthusiastic, especially within creative fields and to be helpful and to want to learn and to want to help. But if you are clearly after a certain thing mm-hmm. and it, it shows so much, it comes across more as as a desperation. And it's not a pull for people in that field. They don't want you to be on board because they're like, uh, like, they want to be here for the right reason. They're trying to force their way in. Like, if you're just honest and, you know, passionate, yeah. great. Um, there was no, like, buzz when you started of, like, oh, what's she doing? Just getting it. What's all that? No, like, it was literally just, okay, oh, Kate, oh, we met. oh, she's bloody lovely. Yeah, no, she's doing her, she's doing her links tomorrow. Like, come on. It was like, well, you oh, okay. and Phil were really lovely because you both sent me, like, a message, added me on Facebook and sent me a message both separately saying, like, welcome to the team. Oh, welcome to the team, Cocker, from Phil, obviously. <laughs> and honestly, that just made me feel so much better because I was, I remember, like, walking past the, the Prez department one day, like, in the office, 
when I was still a PA when I just got the job and just feeling really like uncomfortable. And I, I was like, I knew all these people anyway. I've been working with them, but I just remember thinking, oh God, I feel really like they're just thinking, who, who is this? But that obviously went away once I started working with everyone. Everyone was really lovely. But I think you're right. I think there's a certain like eye roll that happens when you find out a member of production wants to be a presenter. And that's probably not fair. Yeah, it, oh, it's totally it, not. It, it's, it's not totally fair, not. but there certainly is. I mean, I'm mm. guilty of it myself being a bit like, oh, right. And I think it comes from when you, if you want to be a presenter, I think people just assume that you're probably just fame hungry. And I think there are yeah, two different which... types of people who want to be a presenter. And, and when people approach yeah. me and say they want to be a presenter, I don't really know what to advise them because A, I didn't set out to be one. Mm. I can advise people how to get a job for the BBC because I worked damn hard at that. But the presenting thing kind of was a bit being in the right place at the right time for me. It was luck rather than me trying to get it. Um, But also, you know, (laughs) if I was going to be honest with someone, I'd say, right, if you want to be a presenter because you think it looks like loads of fun, you'll have as much fun behind the scenes as well. Mm -hmm. Work on doing that. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, if it doesn't but what you should love is coming up with ideas writing stories writing scripts being creative being in a buzz of a tv and radio environment yeah and if that's not what you want and you just want to be on the telly or the radio and that is it literally all i'd suggest is therapy yeah (laughs) because i think that comes from a place inside us of wanting to feel special and important Mm. and being a presenter will give you that temporarily but at times it will suck it out of you and kick you to the ground and tell you that you're worthless so i don't think it can ever be you can't ever fill a hole in your life by being on the telly or on the radio so if just being a person of a person that's known a known person and being a bit famous is what you want it's just a bad idea. To There's a reason why in musicals and Disney Channel shows and things like that, people are like, get out of the way. I'm going to be the star of the villains. There's a reason why they're the bad guys. It's because they're obnoxious. But, uh, no, but it's, it's, it's true. Cause it's like, it, it's, it's, it, this is a common thread and it happened with myself. Like th- this was never the goal, but you certainly had passions in that world and knowledge of that world that made it so that it was just a natural transition. Like, all right, I'll screen test. And then after the screen test, it's like, yeah, no, absolutely. We're bringing Katie on board. Let's do this. Yeah. Because you, you had that skill and that passion there. And also with you, I suppose, like, you were doing your YouTube videos oh, I bribed and stuff. People. But you were... <laughs> You obviously had this funny personality. You wanted to like make up sketches. You wanted to be a bit silly. You wanted to perform. That was just in you. And that's not you wanting to be famous or being fame hungry. That's you having this natural desire to perform. And I just you wanted know, to make people like laugh. We've discussed this before. Yeah. Like if that's what you want to do, you should be having as much fun doing that, whether you're doing it in front of 10 people in your local town centre, um, you know, hall or whatever or if you're a Hollywood star doing it, because you're doing the same thing. And if it's actually the enjoyment, the performing, whether it's acting, singing, dancing, writing, whatever it is, if it's actually the enjoyment of that thing you like, you should enjoy that. You know, Phil should enjoy that, whether he's doing Hacker on a massive stage in front of, you know, I shouldn't say thousands of kids at some social. I don't think they quite get that many, do they? Hundreds of kids at some social or on telly in front of hundreds of thousands of people watching. Christmas lights, Manchester. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That gets thousands. Or if you are, or if he's outside B&M, with yeah. his little puppet show, like he was back in the day, yeah. doing it. For, like what you're doing. Picking up paint while he's there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Get some paint and a grab bag of Maltesers at the same time. B and M is great. It's beautiful. Use our code Yonko's Podcast one two six. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, if you just want to hire me to stack shelves. I'll take that. 
<laughs> if you great. enjoy that thing is what I'm saying then you should enjoy it whether you're doing it to an audience or not mm. um, and if it's just that you kind of want to be a bit famous then that's no good and we both obviously had those things in us that people saw you were spotted on YouTube I was spotted in the office messing about there and now that I think about it like I can talk for England I can talk until you stop me talking and I can talk about any subject you give me for however length of time and you do need that as a presenter oh god um, absolutely so obviously yeah. we both had something we had a confidence we had a silliness we had um, a willingness to laugh at ourselves and make other people laugh um but yeah that was obviously spotted by other people we were both trying to get famous do you remember when you first started doing lives because mm. I, I if i recall you started um a few months before ian left and you had like a special katie's own slot during the weekend broadcasts I like did, pre-records yeah. and that was sort of like a it was like a warm-up ground for you to get used to it i worked with dodge like we came in to do random sketches and things like that and then i took over afternoons from ian um with me and hacker on the lives and you and warwick dodge the dog were on the um uh, weekend mornings and, and pre-recorded mornings uh was your first like live live where you were in the driver's seat as it were like delivering the content katie and dodge was that the first half terms of 2013 was it probably it? was yeah <clears throat> how did you feel in that environment i remember thinking i feel so sick that sort of sick feeling as they're sort yeah. of counting down they're going 10 9 8 and you feel sick and i remember thinking i'll always feel like this and you know philip schofield and holly willoughby must be feeling like this you know 10 seconds 14 15 times yeah, a morning yeah, every monday to friday <laughs> this morning's happening but actually i really don't think they are I, I reckon they're sat there on their phones chatting away about something they've done at the weekend until they literally go live and they're fine with it and so am i now and i remember i would watch you guys and like you and, and ian especially shall we say would be like on his phone literally and they'd <laughs> yes. be like five four three and he's like on twitter or something they just put it at two one hello and i'd be like why are you not more stressed like I'd watch him and I'd think how are you just like on your phone not even thinking about what you're about to say and but then of course you know fast forward a year and that was me as well and I used to think this nervous feeling will never go but that first summer of lives just knocked it straight out of me um, oh yeah summer is brutal the very first time you do summer it's it's, it's an attack on your like mind body and soul especially because you were doing the mornings yeah I'd, I'd done three summers of that before that that summer I'd done 2010 2011 2012 and it is it is a mind meld. Like it is this weirdly knackering experience that you don't realise how exhausting it is till week two. And your body starts to go, Oh, it's nearly done. What? Five weeks left. Okay. That's fun. Because like when you guys at home, when you're watching that sort of stuff yourself, or when you're watching, or if you're watching it with your kids or younger brothers and sisters, like you see from sort of seven thirty, eight o'clock, the presenters are on between the shows. We've been there since like six, if not earlier. Yeah. In makeup. Pre-recording stuff for later, rehearsing, doing the links, working till about ten, half ten, and then stick around for another two or three hours to bank stuff for later oh. and for the weekends. And then you get out and in a humane society, you'd be allowed to go and have a nap somewhere. But nine times out of ten, it'd be, oh, we're having a brainstorm or a meeting about that thing. Could you just grab something to eat and then come to the brainstorm? Oh. You get home about four or five o'clock. And by that point, you don't want to stay up till it's the right time to go to sleep for the next shift. And I know it's not working down a mine. I know it's not, you know, I know it's not been on the I NHS. I still would say we could be down the mines, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> because he's from Wigan. Nearly everyone in Wigan works down the mines. <laughs> don't at me, it's true. Um, so, but like, you know, it, it's, there's an energy and there is a, like you say, you, you bring in your A game, you bring in energy, you bring in talk, you bring in banter, and you're also having to do it in a very positive way that regardless of what's going on in your life, the moment that camera's on 
you are the audiences. Yeah. Like you belong to them in that moment and you're there to make their day great. So you get to the end of a long day. If you're holding on to a bunch of other things in your head, you get home, you're like, oh, it completely saps your energy. Seven weeks of that. That's the summer holidays. Yeah, and, and exactly. And that knocked all the nerves out of me. Um, and I've just realized now that, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really get nervous for anything now. I might get nervous before, like, yeah, we had Cheryl Cole on Radio 1 the other day, did a pre-record with her. I was slightly nervous, like, I might be slightly nervous I, working I get with that, someone she, really famous. She was in your, she was in your pop cultural, like, zeitgeist for yeah. years, especially, like, I imagine you probably were listening to, like, Girls Aloud and, exactly, and Cheryl yeah. and stuff when you were younger. So I get I that. She, she permeates younger Katie's sort of yeah. mental sphere. When so, someone's yeah. really famous like that as well, I always just get a bit nervous that either they'll be difficult or their people will be difficult. Or But actually she was just amazing, gorgeous, lovely, so down to earth. So were her people. Like It was honestly like we'd just known each other years. She was just great. Um, and I get nervous. I, I guess I was nervous for like my first Radio 1 show. Um, that was, it was new. what, gone to two years now? Yeah, no, probably nearly, th- no, nearly three years ago that I started doing the cover. I've been oh I've been doing it properly, oh like full time once a week for two years now. But it was three years ago I started doing picking up bits of cover, and um, but I I rarely get nervous for anything now. It's just completely gone out of me. I'm almost numb to nerves now. And um, sometimes I think, oh, is that bad? Because you know when they say, oh, nerves show you care. I'm like, does that mean I don't care? And I'm like, no, no, I do care. <laughs> it's just that you can't be ner- sick with nerves every day of your life. Mm. So. We, it has to be knocked out of you. I always say our job is like that day at work where you have to do a presentation every single day or that day mm. at school where you have to stand up in front of the class every single day. Yeah. So you don't get nervous about it anymore once you've done it that often. After a time. And and you know what? If there's one thing, I mean, there's many great things that have come out of me doing this job, but confidence, it has massively, massively made me a more confident person. Like I I'm, can't physically be embarrassed now by anything. Because the job is just one big embarrassment, isn't That's it? That's true, yeah. It was kind of just a, a gauntlet of what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm doing it. Here we go. I'm alive. Let's yeah. do it. So I rarely feel any any nerves in that sort of way. How would how did you handle um, live uh, physical in the room? There they are. They're looking at me, audiences. Because I, mm. I found I, I, grew, I grew up in like trained theatre. That was my start. But then I realised after a long time doing CBC presentation that it was sort of different in a way. You, you're talking like you're talking you're talking like you're talking to one person when you're addressing that camera, and then suddenly I think the first thing I did after ages was we did like an event at BBC Scotland. Um, with, we did like some Q and As and things like that, and suddenly there was a room of like seven hundred kids. Yeah, and it just hit me. I was like, God, I've not done this in ages. This is weird. Yeah, and I felt a little flutter then in my stomach. Yeah, I was like, this is odd. Like, how did how did you feel? Say, like when you were starting to do the BAFTA events regularly, and and um, did you have you, have you done a light switch on? One of yeah. the light switch on. Yeah, that's an odd experience. Isn't I it? was really nervous for the Christmas light switch on actually because this, this is the Manchester one. This is a town hall average ten to twelve thousand people in that space. It's unbelievable how yeah. many people are there. Um, and it was a big deal for me, like being from Manchester, going to those Christmas light switch ons. Like, I was like, this is huge. And also, very unluckily, the week before that, I'd had like an infected wisdom tooth that was impacted oh, into my jaw. Yeah. And I had to have it like, have like an emergency like removal of this tooth. And my face was swollen like about four times the size on one side. And I spent a week off work in Just bed. Just willing it smaller. Yeah. Eating ice cream and watching episodes of Friends because the week after I was due on Celebrity Mastermind. Oh God, you had it all going on in that I two know. Weeks. So honestly, I ended up going doing the Christmas light switch on. I've got a hilarious picture of me 
and Christine and the CBBC makeup artist because I came into makeup on that Friday and was like, just make my eyes look really big to try and distract away. Like she just did like amazing <laughs> eye makeup. Really <laughs> there was no just distraction. Turn me, just turned me into a Funko Pop. Honestly, like... <laughs> my face was hilarious. Um, I went and did the Christmas lights switch on. Obviously it's fine because everyone's really far away, but I remember Warwick just being like, I love it. You look like you've had work done. <laughs> like a Hollywood actress. Like, look like I had a facelift gone wrong. So, so I was just kind of like a little bit, I know, I was just kind of a little bit high on painkillers and confused at that Christmas light switch on after all that anyway. Um, but yeah, I was nervous. I was nervous when I started doing those things with the audience. It is different because you can actually see them looking back at you. I think it is almost worse in a way. But you know what I found? I'm fine with kids' audiences, but I get more nervous when they're adults. Mm. Um, I, I hosted the nursery awards on Friday night and... I actually did feel a little, slight little titter. I thought, oh, I never feel nervous for these things. Why do I feel a bit nervous? And I think it's because I'd spent an hour and a half sitting down having dinner at this awards ceremony with all these people around me. It's kind of built it up a bit because I'd been sat around them and then all of a sudden I had to get up and host it. Um, And they were all adults and you kind of feel like they're staring back at you, expecting a bit more from you, whereas kids are just a little bit kinder, I think, and just excited to see you. They're preset in a way, like some know you from other things and some just like, oh, you're lovely. Hi, you're in charge of the thing. You're going to be saying stuff. Yeah, they're just happy it's not the teacher. Yeah. (laughs) So they're like, great, with someone who's not our teacher. At a corporate gig, you've got more people to sort of have to win to your side like, Yeah, go on, get it wrong. (laughs) Go on. But luckily, Go on, it all TV, went really radio well. radio lady, exactly. you bugger up. Yeah, it's I like, think people why, are like, who do you, you want think that? you are? <laughs> like, why would you want that? I'm just, here, I'm just here to say the words and make things work. But actually, everyone was just lovely and came over afterwards and was like, oh, you did a great job and everyone was really nice. But yeah, I think, weirdly, I'm more comfortable with kids' audiences and I think most people probably be the other way around. <laughs> most people probably be scared of kids. But I think because we've spent so many years presenting for kids, I kind of feel like I know how to handle them. You've got the tone right. Yeah. And I want to, do you know what? Smile, mind a spoiler alert for a future episode. Uh, I'm going to have to sit you down again because there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about, uh, including I really want to go into Dear Katie and I want to talk about the process of the creation of Dear Katie. But in the meantime, you lot do revision, go to Amazon and bloody buy it. No, it's on that. Go to a brick and mortar bookstore. More cash. Anyway. Um, it's probably not in there. It's in Waterstones, I think. It bloody well is by Germany. It's I, not in I your local bookstore. You must ask them to order it. I seek it out. Yes, do that. Do that. I seek it out and I, I write my autograph in them. I don't, but could you imagine? Just don't care. Hello! You've mine by now. You've probably seen it enough times. That's true. How many... Right, is it is it is a scandalous question for a crack on with the uh, the patrons questions. Have you ever had to forge hacker or dodges? Oh no, but I um I'm really but like I can barely even do my own signature, <laughs> so I wouldn't do a very good job of that. Why have you? I've had to do dodges at least <gasps> once. I reckon you'd be good at it though. I, I I had one to copy from to be fair because he sort of does like the little nose and, and yeah, the ears and the shape. Here's a sickening thing that really does murder. In. Pretty much everyone in CBBC HQ, every single presenter can draw really well, apart from me and Karim. So <laughs> you can draw, Warwick and Phil can draw, Lauren can draw, and Reese can draw. Like they're but like really well. Like you could all be illustrators. Like you're all really good at drawing like cartoony drawings and stuff. Phil and Warwick, I think it comes quite closely with puppeteering, doesn't it? To be yeah, able to draw because they kind of sketch out their drawing those characters and, and creating them. Yeah. So you're all so brilliant <laughs> at drawing. And whenever we have to draw an example, it's like kids are going to design an autumn leaf. Can you do your own first? Ours look like a two-year-old's done them. Like me and Karim, I've been sent in by a CBeebies viewer. And then yours are always amazing. It's so annoying. Um, well, thank you for that ringing endorsement. <laughs> 
All of the like CBBC to... presenters are available to illustrate your work apart from me and Karim. Yeah, no, but... actually, no, 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 especially Katie and Karim. They are definitely available. <laughs> I want to see a book with your illustration on the front cover. <laughs> just because it'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happened there? The bio at the back. It's just like the artwork was done by Katie Thistleton, who admittedly does not like drawing, nor can draw, apparently. Please enjoy her illustrations throughout the book. Maybe so... that would make it a little bit more fun. Everyone would be like, wow, this is like modern art. I, you know, right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you after we've recorded, but there's a, there's a book a coffee table book based on something me and Phil used to do that I'm currently putting together that hopefully will go somewhere it'd be quite nice that involves terrible drawing but I'll 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 get into that but first dear Katie my thistle whistle my treasure uh, I've got some questions from the patrons Uh, I'm going to kick off with uh, now now we've already talked about this uh, in one way but I'm going to twist it a little bit. This is from Rainbow Sky. Rainbow Sky asks, how did you get the CBBC presenter job? What was the process like? Now, we've talked about that, but I want to ask you specifically, what was your screen test? So my screen test was uh, going in studio with Hacker and doing a link. And I think it was a standard link that they used for all the screen tests. And it was basically me saying, yeah. Hi, I'm Ian. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Four o'clock club's coming up next or whatever. And Hacker was being a bit naughty and I had to hit him with a plastic fish. And I think they wanted to see like how you were with the puppets. I think one of the main things that people fall back on, I've now realised, is like they treat the puppets really weirdly. Like they're like, and they look at the man. Maybe because I'd already sort of worked with you lot I was okay and comfortable yeah. with Hacker, I don't know. And then I also had to do like a piece to camera for a minute talking about a CBBC show, was it? And why I like that particular CBBC, particular CBBC oh, did show. Oh, they ask you to like pick one and come and say and something about like it? And you had to like tie a story about your life into it. So I think oh, I talked about Wizards. Yeah, I know. I think I talked about Wizards versus Aliens and talked about when I once thought I saw a UFO, but it turned out just to be Key 103. I'd hired one of those like blimp things to advertise I remember that but yeah. I was convinced yeah. I got all my family upstairs I was like I can't believe this call the news <laughs> call, call the news call the queen <laughs> and it was then, and then as it got closer it was a key 103 call on it queen. yeah I think it was around like the Commonwealth Games or something like that I remember that yeah yeah because it was, it was sort of over where now Etihad is isn't it, it was sort of, yeah. yeah honestly <laughs> I, I, it was the most queen. exciting moment of my life I couldn't believe it I thought this has happened I have spotted a UFO <laughs> and then they went does, does that work for you? Watching the screen test yes, back. They were like, I don't know. Is that what this is about? I'm not sure. I'm a, I'm a producer. I'm too busy to watch the content. We leave that to the presenters. That was basically the screen test. And Warwick Brownlow Pike sat in the corner, just like giving me side eye um, because he was like, wanted to. He was obviously just a bit nervous Nosy about who was going to be the new bit, presenter, yeah. who was going to be his new co host, and he worries about these things. So he was obviously a bit worried. So he was in the corner, like looking over at me like oh no not her well he had, a, he, had a, he and i had a history at that point of being put into double acts a lot like i had like four or five before it was um me and dodge consistently yeah and, and then so i suppose he was probably like he was worried it was the breakup he was like oh, chris, chris and dodge is about to end like, yeah. who's, who's gonna be new chris he was apprehensive and i totally get that now but luckily we you know absolutely. he just gives side eye don't he, he did give me a and not in like a mean way but it just sort of looks a he bit did like really oh, intimidate me it's really out of order well, to be actually. fair a man lying on the floor in a in a little Peaky Blinders cap, like with he, his arm up a dog's bum. Is, he did have his Peaky bit. Blinders cap on as well. <laughs> um, but luckily, we obviously hit it off and are the best of friends, and he's one of the best people I've ever met in my life, so it all works out well. There you go, Warwick. Take that clip, put it on the CV. <laughs> um, <laughs> like he needs to put anything on there now after Bloody Dark Oh Crystal. my God, he doesn't have to put anything on his CV. <laughs> Just whack up a picture There's of Skeksis. There's no more room. Just draw one on the front. Have you done a CV, by the way, in like years? I haven't done a CV in a long time. I, uh, I've got two CVs I recently tweaked. I've got, a, I've got a broadcasting performing work one and I've got a normal work a norm, one. And it's hilarious when you look at the two. Because <laughs> it's like, one of them is like, God, this, this guy looks like he's qualified. The other one's like, 
this guy looks like he's done nothing in his life. I started young, leave me alone. <laughs> um, this one's from Matty. Hello, Matty. Matty says, what led to the decision to leave CBBC? Oh. Uh, and was it a difficult one or were you excited for future projects? Um, you can go as in-depth in this as you like. Do you know, I had a dream last night and oh, it must God. have been because we were doing this podcast today. That she'd I murdered this. someone and she's I, on the lamb, basically. I dreamt last night that... Like I just had a dream about that I was missing CBC so much, and I am. But in my dream, I was like heartbroken about it, um, and it made, and I woke up and I, I honestly. And then felt you woke a bit up and remembered Jedward's big adventure and went, "Actually, I'm fine." <laughs> no, I'm I woke fine. up and felt really sad. Um, the decision to leave was because I suppose no one ever really lets you settle like you were saying before you don't let yourself settle and no one else lets you settle in this business and for years people have been asking me what's next and we're always talking about what's next and when we leave yeah Yeah. exactly so for years it had been on my mind like when when will I leave CBC like you're never allowed to just be settled are you and I think I at first said oh maybe after five years because I just thought that seems like a nice time Mm. then we did the 30th anniversary show that were cool and I discovered that Angelica Bell was the longest running press presenter and she'd done it for six years yeah. yeah and I was already in well I didn't think it at the time but then once I was already into my fifth year I kind of thought oh I should definitely stick it out and do six <laughs> and a, six and a bit now and beat and, and beat her record um but also it just came a really good time but I kind of chatted to our boss Ian France and was and kind of hinted at him that oh maybe I should start thinking about going I felt a bit like I'd obviously done it for years and could do it with my eyes shut if I was just in there doing a live afternoon with Phil every day, God, I'd have never left until they pushed me because it's just the best job in the world. Things, but when it comes yeah. to like maybe doing the pre-records in the morning and stuff like that, I'd done a lot of that. And it, and and I had started to think, you know what? I have done this and I've done this and I've done this to death. Did you find that weird fatigue when, and this is no slight to the people taking this position uh, per se because they don't know really, but like when you get to that new team of researchers, maybe a new producer and certain gags boom around yeah, back around yeah. that that you did years ago because it's the sort of the obvious first gag for someone who's just been told you have to write yeah. a thing about this show all these things come around christmas comes around easter comes around um another series if the dumping ground comes around <laughs> wimbledon comes around and, and then you start to think god i've done a lot of these um and i was in no way bored because it is the best job in the world and God, it's easy work. I mean, we oh, turn that up there, rolling, yeah. we mess about, we laugh for a living. It's not a proper job. And when I was leaving, I was under no pretense that I was going to be going on to bigger and better things. I was like, this is the biggest and best thing in TV. Mm. It might not look that way to the outside world. People might not think, oh, CBBC is the biggest and best job as a presenter. Bank account may not agree. No, but, <laughs> but it is. What other job in TV can you go in, do what you want on the telly, work with your best friends with really fun people, Slap do it on your doorstep. Yeah. Exactly. So... Um, it was a, a combination of I had done it the longest of any presenter that had ever done that and thought, well, come on, don't overstay your welcome now because they might people might start to get a bit, you know, the bosses might start to think it's time to move her on and you don't ever want to be in that position. You always want to leave before you're pushed. You want to jump before you're pushed. Mm. Um, and also they started to change things around that time. It was coming up to the end of the financial year and I just sort of said to my boss, I need to think about when to leave. And then he approached me and said, well, do you know they're kind of changing things? Lots of redundancies were happening in BBC mm. Children's. The team was changing. My boss was leaving. They were going to start bringing in some new presenters. It felt like if leaving then made sense because it was the end of a certain era. Yeah. And if I stayed, yes. yeah. if I stayed it would have really felt like I was clinging on. 
Um, and you know what? I had Radio 1 and I, and I was spreading myself a bit too thin as well. I was so, so busy trying to fit in other stuff around CBBC. I was exhausted. So I did want to give myself a bit more time to focus on those things. Um, so do you know what? It was perfect because I left happy. I wasn't sick of it. I wasn't sick of anyone. I loved everyone. I was sad to leave, but also I knew it was the right time. So it honestly just felt perfect. That last day was happy, sad for all the right reasons. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to wait until I got sick of it or wait until they wanted to get rid of me. <laughs> it would, it, I think it's the sort of job where like, if you are feeling like, oh God, one was still doing it, then you know that, that was the, it's the wrong time. You should have gone sooner. Exactly. Like you should have yeah. got, gone out on that high. I, and, I felt like I left at the it. most perfect time, and I, yeah, no regrets about. And six years is a is a good run. Is that? Yeah, I was going to say it's six. So you six years consistently on the weeks, aside from obviously going away on holiday, like consistently in the weekdays. Six setting. years, consistently. and the last sort of year was like two, three days a week, and that kind of shift work, wasn't it? Yeah, so I started so like Angelica would have been doing because like everyone wasn't structured; they were here and there and everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So six I years. You're a close third. Yeah, you probably I are. Did, you're counting shout out Saturday. Mm, you probably are. And then I did six and a bit years. Really? Yeah. Well, you might even be. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anyone's exact dates. I'll be honest with you. I don't know exactly how long Angelica Bell did it for, but I think yeah, the three of us are definitely up there. Then. We should all have a fight. I mean, we should. Uh, <laughs> like I don't. Yeah, I don't know what Angelica's exact dates are. I know I started on like the my first live link was I think it was like the thirteenth of January. Yeah, because you, you appeared a few times before you started, didn't you? You appeared with Ian a few times. Yeah, I did And you did some stuff with me and Dodge a couple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, prayers, patron Sophie McCoy says... Ah, Hello, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Sophie worked on a bunch of CBBC stuff with us over the years, uh, including... Whoops, I missed the bus. Rest in peace. Uh, what was <laughs> your scariest ever live moment in prayers and your favourite? Oops, that's two questions. Go with scariest. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> favorite, we'll, favorite. We'll touch on again because I'm gonna have to get you back. And there's a bunch of stuff I want to run past oh, you scary, about press things. But what was your scariest live moment? Well, it would just be the first one I would have thought, and the first one actually, not the first one on my own. Probably the first one with Ian and Hacker, um, because that was just the first time I'd ever been on the telly, and it's awful to watch back. Like you can see my nervous oh, face. I, I'd never, oh, it's never go horrendous. back. Never go back. It's awful. And I was, <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit intimidated by Ian. And yeah, just, I thought. It's weird you say, hi, my name's Katie. And he just immediately replies, with tonight! <laughs> oh, lo- yeah, what are you saying? I'm not intimidated by What are you now, saying, but... Ian? <laughs> I'm practicing for something. It's going to yeah, happen yeah. one day, I swear. <laughs> so he got the job. He was just always saying tonight. Tonight! Time, oh my God. Yeah. On. <gasps> I was quite the intimidated hob. by I was him. cooking tea. And, okay. and intimidated by Hacker, like, because I'd worked in children's and they were like, you know, the, so the quick. gods, weren't like he's they? so quick. Like, Ian and Hacker were like, you know, put on a real pedestal in children's, so I was quite intimidated by them both, really. Um, obviously not now, I just know that they're both pair of losers like me. <laughs> <laughs> now I know we're all just losers. Um, but yeah, that was the most nervous. And my favourite would be any time that Hacker has made me laugh to the point of um, nearly wetting myself and crying, of which I've got a great YouTube video of bloopers. And me and Phil <laughs> watch them regularly. We used to watch them on the afternoons. Like how obnoxious we would sit there <laughs> in links, between links, in watching between ourselves them. on the telly and <laughs> laughing at ourselves. But it's just joyous because it's genuine tears and genuine laughter. Those bits are my favourite. I mean, again, we'll touch on this another time, but that, that the umbrella link 
the 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 horses link that I'm playing with this stapler. Oh my god, Grace, that's one of my favourite live links ever as well. How the hell did we? How 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 did that qualify for us to be paid that day? If anyone wants to know what I'm talking about, I'll put it up on Instagram oh, or tweet we it because it's it's mental. I think that's probably one of the first times that I'd properly corpsed on the telly. Actually, oh, you were gone. You were yeah. gone before you finished your first line. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it was the exact same reason as me. You just realised as we were starting it. Are we about to seriously do this? This we is the most giddy. ridiculous thing. We were giddy and I was crying in the <laughs> rehearsal because I remember <laughs> as we were counting down to live, I was crying and I remember Andy Potter going, oh God, in the gallery <laughs> because worse. he could tell that I was, that it was not going to go well because I was already crying and we'd not even started the link. So much stupid stuff like the vase that's always there, things like that. We're just like, what is this? Not the vase that's always there, Chris. Oh, you're making me miss it so much. Don't miss it, don't miss it. Here, I'll try and distract you with a question that's got nothing to do with CBBC. Lego Bookworm. Hello, Lego Bookworm. Lego Bookworm says, what was your favourite programme during your childhood? And did you have a favourite presenter? Ooh, favourite programme. Do you know what? I um, had Sky at home. Oh, so, I. Yeah, one of the posh ones, posh, posh yeah. kid. I had Sky at home. Um, so I was a proper Nickelodeon kid, Cartoon Network and stuff, and loved right. Sabrina, Sister Sister, Keenan and Kel. Oh my God, what was that? Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo, oh. Rugrats. You, oh my God. Right, can we have another hour? I know, I, I just, know. If only we did have another hour. That yeah. entire run, like... Oh, that cow was a chicken. time, cow and chicken. That was a time to be alive. Um, but and my grandma's, she didn't have Sky, so then I would watch The Queen's Nose and <gasps> Peter and stuff like that. Oh, I, love, I, I legitimately I'm, love The Queen's Nose in a way that's sort of unnatural because it was that first TV show that made me as a kid realise, wait, this stuff can be really kind of disturbing. Yeah, what are they? Why are they all morality plays? What is this? It's yeah, like Round the Twist and, and stuff then, like oh, that. Oh, Round the Twist, yeah. Oof, um, goosebumps. Angelica Bell and Kirsten O'Brien were the press presenters, I think, when I was watching um and i loved them too and when i met them for 30th i was actually quite i'd already met angelica actually i was quite nervous to meet kirsten o'brien yeah and she told just uh, when i said hello to her she said the most crude story that i cannot say on this podcast the first thing she told me was basically something someone was doing on the tram (laughs) that they shouldn't have been doing on the tram but the words that she used that did not hold back swearing and like i was like wow my childhood heroes just said that word to me (laughs) The first thing she said to me is that, and I'm going to keep that in my mind now whenever I meet any adults who used to watch me on kids' telly to not... Use that exact same anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. Just continue the chain. Don't use any crude words, because even though you're now both adults, it's still going to be weird for them. <laughs> Katie, says Chris Wood. Uh, this must be for you. Katie says, it must be difficult keeping everything child-friendly and suitable for broadcast sometimes. <laughs> Tell Kirsten a prank. What's the closest you've come to saying or doing something that would get you fired for inappropriate behaviour on air and did you get in trouble? <laughs> can you can you recall a time where you, you nearly stepped or leapt over the fence? Do you know what? I don't think I have even nearly sort of swore or said anything like that. It's really funny. It's kind of like you have a built-in sensor. It's like when you're in front of your parents or your teachers or you something. Yeah. You have a built-in sensor, don't you? You know that you speak differently around different people. Community radio, I think, as well. Being in yeah. that environment and listening to people or being yourself, like, not ever breaching it, you kind of get used to the idea of, I'm in a room with a microphone, so I will not say a rude thing on that yeah, microphone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But certainly, off-air, when we're in that room, <laughs> we've said terrible things that would have us all imprisoned, never mind, sacked. <laughs> 
Um, Just for bad taste. Actually, like, when not I was, confessions to murder. Yeah, when I was on uh, community radio, actually, community I did say for the murder. a certain swear word. You'll be able to imagine which one it is because I was saying, what do you call a Twitter user? Are they are they twits? Are they... Oh, and I, I said another word yeah. with T. But luckily, that was only on community radio and there's probably three people listening, so it didn't really matter. Jim in the grocers was just like, how dare she? I would complain, but I don't know how to text. <laughs> I shan't text him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I've been I, I, I've been all right with that. And also, do you know what I'm amazed that I've never done? Called Phil or Warwick, Phil or Warwick instead of Hacker and Dodge. I cannot you know, believe I've never done that. I'll have to ask him to make sure, but I think even I think even Ian's crossed that line. I think well, even Ian said Phil. There's been at least a couple once. of times where it's nearly le- left my mouth and I've stopped and said Hacker yeah. or Dodge. So, but I don't know how that's never happened. I tripped into hacks. Like if I knew I was gonna, if I knew I was sort of having that yeah. moment, I'd say hacks. That I think that's where I started saying hacks more than Hacker. But, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't is. know how I've never said Phil or Warwick. I, maybe just maybe it's because you just saved it to the end of the link and then slapped him <laughs> on the knee and be like, "Why did you do that?" Was live. I think I might have called Phil Hacker in real life, and I think I'll do it the other way around. <laughs> I think I've called him Hacker. They sound the same now, anyway. <laughs> uh, and finally, I'm so so sorry if I mispronounced this. I is that Ife? Ether probably. Ether probably. Mm-hmm. Ether the awesomest. I'm going to learn that for next time. Send it to me on the Discord. I think it's Ether. Thank you to CBBC for teaching me how to say lots of children's names. Neve. Neve. Exactly. I didn't know about Neve. Not, it's not Naeem. <laughs> yeah, Naeem. I didn't even know how common it was until I worked at CBBC. I was like, oh my god, there's so many Neves. There or really a very persistent Neve. Um, <laughs> what was your favourite moment throughout the six year CBBC career? And if you could go back in time to do it all again, would you? Yes, I know this is technically two questions. <laughs> What was my favourite? Your favourite moment throughout the six years. Oh god, it's impossible to think of a favourite moment. Um, do you know what the thirtieth celebration was amazing because I presented that along with Kel. Yeah. And I felt it's the first time I kind of felt really confident in my presenting abilities to hold together like a whole hour live show. Um so I just remember feeling really great and all the past presenters were there, so it was really good fun, and I felt really like it was special that I was presenting it and all these past presenters were there and I was able to do it and had it's the kind of an awakening, to... isn't it? You so yeah. went, oh my god, this is what this means. This is what this means because yeah. I'm sort of feeling it for the people I watched, and it's like, oh wow, is this what it all led and to? And it was just a great, um, yeah. so it's called it was called Hacker's Birthday Bash, I think it was, wasn't it? And it was yeah, just a brilliant you know, show. branding, yeah. <laughs> Go get he barely there. did anything in it as well. He was just there. Oh, it's my birthday, <laughs> cockers. Kate and Kel, over to you. Yeah. <laughs> you guys juggle all the work. fun show to watch, to be a part of. So that was definitely a highlight. Anything where we were out and about doing stuff as well, like Wimbledon. Oh, um, yeah. That that's that can be stressful. And then you realise that you're the weirdos there. And yeah, it kind gotcha. of becomes, sort of becomes fun in yeah, retroactively. They know nothing about I don't think they ever sent anyone who knows anything about sports to that. It was either me oh. or you. And we oh, care God. less about tennis. One of my links from Wimbledon's on my show in the showreel I'm editing at the minute, and it just begins with me and Hacker going, looking at the court, watching a game, going, "Oh, what's your favourite bit? I like the green. I'm a fan of the balls and that." <laughs> so I mean, just like, we don't yeah. we don't give a de- like I read out match results at the start of a link for the afternoon so far, and then I just throw the card and yet away. It feels like tennis royalty when you watch our Wimbledon because he's been there so often. He's like Andrew Castle, hey, how's it going? It's so weird. I know, but we just mess about. We basically make a mockery of tennis when we're there, and yet they have us back every year. I think Phil there this week today possibly even yeah, sat between links between like sky news and, yeah, exactly. and bbc 24 hour they're just looking at you like 
will you keep it down? We're like, no. That was always good fun. And also, so were like the summer socials. Oh, the first one we ever did, do you remember in Leeds? CBBC Live in Leeds? Yes, yeah. Loved that because I was quite new then and it was the first time we did anything like that. It was like the year that. of the lean. It the first one. It was. So you loads of photos leaning. It was so <laughs> nerve wracking, but so much fun. Yeah. When I think back to those times when we're all together and it's like a big party, that's always good fun. Christmases as well. Oh my God, I'm going to be heartbroken this year when I'm not on CBBC at Christmas. Yeah, that is, that does, I'm not a Christmas guy and it took getting into Panto to get over not doing the Christmas like content and everything. It's it's a big thing. Oh, I love Christmas. So would you for part two of that question, would you if you could do those six years again, would you do oh, those six years? Oh one again? million times over, I would do those six years on repeat. Um over and over and over again. It was There's no residuals though. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, best New six, contract. best six years of my life, best job ever. And only only got better and better as I became more comfortable with it and was closer to everyone. Like just you know, it's like just working with best mates, isn't it? It's just gorgeous. Aww. It's the best job ever. Aww. Yeah, do it over and over and over again. Yes, softy sausage. But in the words of take that, you know, is it take that? Let it say? shine. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for it to be someone else's dream now. Oh, th- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. they say something like that. Yeah. Was that was that when was that when two of them had already buggered off? And... <laughs> yeah, it's like we're done now. Yeah, you three deal with it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, this has been so fun. I know we've been chatting for like a full hour, but it's gone so quick. <laughs> it always do- It zooms by. And the thing is, this is going to be longer than an hour, five minutes, because there's adverts and I have to do a little talk at the beginning. All those and all B&M sorts. Uh, pushes that you've got to put in there. <laughs> Use the code Yonko. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be amazing. I'm pushing for it now. I've got two weeks to edit this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push for B&M sponsorship. Get to B&M for multi-packs of jelly babies. Yeah, which Just will... Just use our code Yonko623. <laughs> for all your gelatin infant needs. <laughs> Do you want the rest of these gelatin infants, by the way? Because I've eaten all the colours I like. Oh, go on then. But on one condition. You tell them where they can find you online and on the radio and that. Okay, yes. So now that I'm not on CBBC, just ignore the rustling of the jelly baby packet. <laughs> it's like ASMR. <laughs> if you want some jelly babies, I've got some jelly babies. Oh, I hate it. I hate ASMR. Oh. Okay, so now I'm not on CBBC, I do a radio show on a Sunday afternoon on Radio 1 called Life Hacks from 4pm till 7pm. And I also do a bit of cover on Radio 1, a bit of Radio Manchester as well, but that is where you can regularly find me. Books available at Waterstones and uh, Amazon, etc. The link's on my Instagram. And yeah, I'm just Katie Thistleton on Instagram and Twitter and all that. I used to be This Beyonce on Snapchat. I remember. Um, but I think I changed that to my name because everyone was just like, what's with that weird name? No one could find me. You're like, how dare you? I stan a queen. <laughs> All right? Can I just say I hate people saying I stan? Me too. Do and, you? It's and my I'll least ta- I'll favourite. I'll tell you why. It's because of where it comes from and how many people don't realise how weird that from? is. So it comes from Stan, the Eminem song. Oh, of course it does. About the psychotic fan who drives off a bridge and endangers him and the life of his pregnant of course, girlfriend. I did know that, but I, it gets used so often now I'd forgotten that that was the meaning. And it's that ironic thing of like, oh, I'm not just a fan, I'm a stan. I'm and not it's much like, of a fan, I'll drive my wife off a cliff. Yeah, I'm not much of a fan that I will write handwritten correspondence to my idol and in then my get annoyed blood. when I don't get a reply. No, oh it just God. annoys me. I, I, it doesn't, it's not because of the Stan connection. <laughs> if anything, I quite like the Stan connection. I just don't, I don't know, it just annoys me. It gets used too often now. Everyone's like, oh, it's we... It's permeated the culture. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's inject, injected like, oh, itself we, into the zeitgeist. We, we Stan an orange jelly baby. <laughs> You're like, well, you can have them. Yeah. I prefer the pink ones. <laughs> the pink and the green, sir. They are actually my favourite jelly babies, pink and green. Well, there you go. We've learned many things, but I'd say that was the most important one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
Big love to Katie Thistleton. Oh, love I love Thistle. you, Yonko. I'm going to turn off this microphone and then you're going to hug me like any treasure. And I would love to. <laughs> Ta-ra! Thanks, everyone. Oh, meat. <laughs> Out of the Broom Cupboard, episode two, starred special guest Katie Thistleton. It was brought to you by producer talkie man and this guy chris johnson music's by incompetech it's available on itunes and spotify and of course you can subscribe and help donate to the show patreon.com slash ootbc For nerdy news, geeky gossip, and something to occupy your time on the long and winding road to your inevitable death? Then do we have the pop culture podcast for you! The Big Damn Cast is released for free every Thursday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Hosted by the majestic Man Mountain Matt Watson and his adorable boyish sidekick Chris Yonko Johnson, Big Damn Cast is your one stop shop for movie news and reviews. Big Damn Cast, the only pop culture podcast on the entire internet. Don't, don't fact check that because it's, it's true. Amuse your friends. Startle your enemies. Listen to the synth pop magic of the Pound Shop Boys. Includes your favourites. Fireman Sam. Jamie and the Magic Torch. And Grandad. Pound Shop Boys Nostalgia. It's the ideal Christmas gift. Only £8 plus postage on compact disc. Digital download available too. The Northwest's premier synth duo. Great value, great fun, great quality.